prayer is the recognition, the moment where a person stops and realizes that the smile of the delighted other in one's deepest self is God, you know, is the mystery of grace. That's what keeps me going. If I didn't believe that God and the mystery of God and the mystery of grace was a reality, I think I would be a very unhappy person. Hello, and welcome to the Soul Food Podcast, bringing you stories that nourish the soul. It's Alison and Donnie here from Pastoral Formation, and we hope that this podcast will encourage you in your life and faith wherever you are right now. Here comes another Soul Food story. Hello, friends, and welcome once again to another episode of the Soul Food Podcast. This time we're joined by Mark O'Connor, who is a Morris brother. Brother Mark was born in Melbourne, and he did a range of ministry experience in Melbourne. He's a teacher, a religious educator, and organizer of international Catholic speakers to Australia for over 35 years. This has included cardinals, bishops, and lay people such as Marianne Glendon, Dom Helder Kamara, Basil Hume, Cardinal Martini, and more. And the hope that he had in that experience of organizing international guests was to broaden the people's vision of the spirit alive in the wider church. He currently works in the Diocese of Parramatta as Vicar for Communications, and he is also a Pope Francis Fellow at Newman College, University of Melbourne. Welcome, Brother Mark. Thank you. Really excited to have you in this space, and as we were talking beforehand, I didn't realize you've had so many people from overseas organized to come here to Australia. Um, We'll jump into that in a moment, but before we start on uh, our podcast and a bit Mm. of your life story, one that we like to start with, with all our guests, is a favorite food story that describes a bit about yourself. So what comes to mind when you think of a memorable food story that describes your life and faith experience? Well, um, of course, I like eating food, uh, and central to uh, Christian living is the experience of the Eucharist, Mm. the sharing of uh, of uh, of the Last Supper, and because it's called the Last Supper, uh, it indicates that there, in fact, Jesus had many suppers. Yeah, this mm. was only the last of the of many that he had, where he gathered people together uh, to celebrate the coming of the kingdom. He was a Jew, of course. Jesus was not a Catholic. He was a Jew. Mm. He celebrated the Passover, the great story of passing over from from death, from slavery to life which prefigures his resurrection and our resurrection. So Mm. the film that actually sums it up, I mean, I've had many Eucharistic meals and um, I've come from Melbourne. So, you know, um, we look with a little bit of pity on Sydney. (laughs) It's um, the food capital, uh, right? (laughs) I mean, Sydney is rather tame, really. But um, I'm going to Melbourne in a few days and I'll be going to a Greek restaurant called Jimmy's Greek Yep. Restaurant, which is the first Greek restaurant in Melbourne, yeah. Um, and uh, I'll be going also to a French restaurant with a priest friend who's got sick, who's sick with cancer. Oh, um, so uh, obviously, um, meals are an occasion where people come together mm. uh, and share and gain strength and friendship. Mm. Uh, and there is a film called Babette's Feast, which is a story um, uh, about a. Uh, a French woman who is sent as a refugee from war in France to uh, a Scandinavian fishing village, which is very isolated and cold and dark. Mm. And the people who have been there for years uh, become querulous and difficult with each other. But then this French woman comes and she wins the lottery while she's there (laughs) and she uh, puts on this meal Mm. for the people in the village. 
the meal she used to cook at a famous Paris restaurant. And it's a fabulous meal. And the whole film is about how she prepares this meal. And it's remarkable that you see the transformation of the people who were fighting each other and had become bitter and revengeful against each other, all sorts of people in the village. And they're transformed by this act of sharing this meal. And that is a sort of a symbol or a sign of how Christ gave everything. Mm. When he says, when we say we receive the body and blood of Christ, it's it's not just simply, you know, something you know, kind of a physical thing. It's mm. that Christ gave everything. Mm. He gave his total and utter self on the cross, out of love for us. So that meal that you, and that's what the Eucharist is. It's that Christ gave himself ev- everything everything mm. and that's what we receive and celebrate together in every eucharist meals of course that's a highfalutin description <laughs> of uh, of any meal but every meal celebrated in authentic love and friendship is a celebration of christ's self-giving love if mm. it's if it's celebrated in families and in friendship and in whatever and the eucharist of course that we celebrate on um, you know in our communities, mm. Catholic communities, is is the high point of all of those celebrations. Mm. But it's not disconnected mm-hmm. from the ordinary meals that mm-hmm. ordinary families have and ordinary friends have together. You know, So mm. there is a sense in which every meal that is well celebrated with love and with friendship yep. is Eucharistic. Yeah. You know? And so uh, <laughs> is a matter of not just simply beautiful, lovely food, but it's mm. about, as with Babette, about giving, mm-hmm. the giving of self. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's a long way of describing. Yeah, you know, yeah. and I, I really mm-hmm. love that point mm-hmm. that you make there, um, Brother Mike, um, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. this food, this communication of mm-hmm. intimacy, mm-hmm. can happen across tables, and and I really love sure. how it comes. Yeah, and that's comes the way through. it normally does. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for drawing out all those mm-hmm. themes from mm-hmm. foods and mm-hmm. meals and, mm-hmm. and sharing that with people. Um, I've once heard mm-hmm. from a vocations mm-hmm. director their description of choosing vocation um, mm-hmm. as coming to this great feast. And it's mm. not just one dish that you eat, it's many. And, mm. and so I wonder if, um, Mark, mm. you could take us through a bit of your your uh, life and faith journey. Um, not every touch point for sure, but just some of the notable moments where yeah. you came to know the feast that led to you becoming a Morris brother. Yeah. Well, it's not always a feast, mind you. It can be, <laughs> it can be a famine, you know, yep. because life is, um, life is not simply just a, uh, you know, one glorious triumph mm. after another. Mm. If you were to say, what is, you know, how have I experienced grace? How have I experienced God on my vocation? Mm. Just like everybody else through... Through certainly not just through sadness and disappointments and failing and woundedness, which is the story of every person. Of course, I've been shown love and I've been mm. shown graciousness and I've been shown uh, magnanimity by others, mm-hmm. and I've been uh, that's what grace is. Mm-hmm. But I would say that the the mystery of the cross, the Paschal mystery, is that, uh, and this is hard to for somebody to experience when they're very young. Mm-hmm. Christianity is an adult religion. You, know, you can prepare young people for the mystery mm-hmm. and help them have a language in order to understand the mystery mm-hmm. when it when they come across it as they go through life. But you can't actually thump it into them and expect yes. that they are just going to do it the way that 
another generation or another person did. Carl Rahner used to say that the, mm-hmm. the great Jesuit theologian that the Christian of the future will be a mystic mm-hmm. or there won't be any Christians at all. Yep. And what he means by mystic is not some sort of esoteric experience, <laughs> but by an interior journey. You know? mm. So faith comes from within, yep. Yep. not from without. Yeah. You know, yeah. Without... It used to come from without in some cultures mm-hmm. in the sense that it came from, it was given to you, which was good. Mm-hmm. I got most of my faith from my family and my parents. Mm-hmm. But the story of every Christian vocation, especially in this day and age, mm-hmm. is is how a person, and it'll be different for every person, goes on a journey to appropriate yes. that faith in their life. I mean, I think in like in every vocation, whether it's marriage or religious life or priesthood, I think it would be true to say that people join for one reason and stay for another, yeah. you know, um, that as you develop as a person, rather importantly, first of all, as a person, and then you develop in your theological or spiritual reflection on mm. what your life direction is all about, um, hopefully it deepens. Not, It doesn't always necessarily deepen. It can be, it can go wrong, as you know. I mean, people can become bitter and twisted, whether they're priests, religious uh, lay people, they can spend their lives blaming and complaining and protesting about other people, mm. trying to reform other people. We've even got a few of those sorts of people in the Diocese of Parramatta. Mm-hmm. Not many, but the vast majority of people are just get, good people getting on with their own living out of the good news. But there mm-hmm. are, it's very easy and uh, very seductive to become somebody who sits back and critiques yeah. other people and shows thinks that they're somehow not living the gospel according to the way that they think they, they should be. And uh, mm. that, I think, um, is something that I've seen a lot in my... Uh, it's 50 years since I went to the Brothers Junior in 1971. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I've had a lot to do with all sorts of different types of Catholics um, yep. <laughs> um, in uh, the Australian church. And um, my experience essentially has been very positive. But... Mm. Um, but there are some people who, who uh, haven't quite grasped mm-hmm. that the essence of the gospel, first of all, is to be, and the essence of the baptismal vocation mm. is to become, first of all, a kind, good, compassionate human being. And if you can't do that, mm. it doesn't matter all the words or rhetoric or theology you've got, that mm. does not convince other people mm. about the truth of the gospel or the truth of the Catholic faith, mm-hmm. which of course I adhere to because you know I can I know the history of the church and I know that um, in the history of the church, especially since the Second Vatican Council, we've had great popes: John the Twenty Third, Paul the Sixth, mm. John Paul the First, John Paul the Saint, John Paul the Second, Benedict, the great theologian, mm-hmm. um, and now Pope Francis, who is also a great compassionate, you know, voice of the church and credible, authentic witness to the gospel to so many people, mm-hmm. not just inside the church, but outside the church. But I think that's the critical thing about vocation is the first point would be that, that you, you, you come to realize that the most important thing is to be a good human being. And I would say that's the most critical, mm. most critical factor in understanding the living out of one's baptism. Mm-hmm. The, second, the second point is that in this day and age and in this particular culture, we have to take note of what Thomas Merton, the great uh, Cistercian <laughs> monk, who was a rather complicated man and had his own flaws and failures and wounds like all of us. Yeah. But uh, in the last talk that he gave before he was accidentally electrocuted in Bangkok in 1968 to a group of fellow monastics, mm. 
he he made the rather enigmatic statement as he was leaving the talk. He said he said to them, "From now on," he said, "we all have to stand on our own two feet." Mm. Now, what that means, I think, to tease it out, is is that um, in a previous era of being a Catholic, one um, came to faith, was socialized into faith, and you know, in a culture which was largely for many people quite Catholic. Catholic families, Catholic schools, Catholic mm-hmm. practices, Catholic devotions. The, the laws of the society um, were kind of sympathetic towards the, ex- to the practice of Christianity. However, now in a postmodern, to some degree post-Christian world where there are many, many different options, one can't come to faith simply by being socialised into it. It has to become more and more a personal mm-hmm. journey. In other words, one has to stand on one's own feet. So in the past, one could sort of be carried along but young people and people growing in their faith are not going to are going to live that journey in a different way in our particular times. Yeah. Not because there's anything wrong about going to mass on Sunday or anything like that. Of course not. But but there is something about that one that the person who is actually going to experience and mature in their faith is going to have to take personal responsibility. Mm. You can't um, expect people now to just grow in their Christian faith by being told to do it by sure. external authorities. Sure, yeah. No matter how noble and good those external authorities are, whether it's the bishop, the pope, the parish priest, the teacher in the classroom, whatever, they can all invite, mm-hmm. they can help to persuade, they can help to show the reasonableness of it, but every person has to go on an inner journey. And mm. faith and vocation is about going on an inner journey. Yep. And we all do it in different ways, of course. And we yeah. all have different um, styles of spirituality. Uh, and we all make uh, necessarily, the only way, unfortunately, you can grow in life is to make mistakes. Mm. So mm. I, I wish there was some other way, <laughs> but there is no other way. And so making mistakes and realizing that one is fallible and yep. that one stuffs things up and being willing to share that with somebody, whether it's a spouse Mm-hmm. spiritual director, mm-hmm. therapist if necessary, yep. or whatever, uh, or confidant or friend or soul friend, that is another aspect of the Christian journey. Mm. That's perhaps a long-winded one. No, no, no. Great, mm. great themes that you've drawn out of there as well. Mm. Um, mm. Mark, that expression you use to be Christian mm. is to be deeply human. That's yeah. my hearing yeah. of it. Mm. Um, who mm. or how was that revealed to you um, in your faith journey? Well, Gregory Barmer, who was a Augustinian theologian who was very significant at the Second Vatican Council, has the phrase in his book, which is a little bit dated now because it's rather misogynist, man becoming, but he mm. has a phrase, God is what happens to God is what happens on the way to becoming human, you know? So I think it's a mistake to think that there's a because of the incarnation, God reveals himself in people, events and things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, grace there's no such thing as grace. It's not like I'm going to a petrol station to get filled up with the sacraments. Grace is present as you go grow and develop, hopefully, at least at a theoretical level. I mean, you know, we're all failing to live this out, you know, existentially because of our own wounds and limitations mm. and blocks and sinfulness. But at a at a at a existential personal level, the experience of uh, growing in the spiritual life is discovering that grace is everywhere, that that the spirit is at work everywhere mm. in all people, not just in Catholics, not just in you know, um, people of of, uh, of faith necessarily, but the spirit is at work wherever people, you know, live out the experience of authentic, self-transcendent, mm-hmm. self-sacrificing love. Mm-hmm. And all of that you see every day all around you in ordinary people as they get their kids to go to school and mm. struggle in their families and 
struggle in their lives and we go through the experiences of you know of loneliness and marriage and suffering and getting people getting sick and people in their families dying mm. and all these things so as I think I would say that just like everybody else as as you go through life as you're younger you may that never really changes all that much but you go on a journey uh, from hopefully from moving from loneliness to aloneness mm. discovering that there's always a temptation to believe even if you're married that you're going to meet the person the right person or meet the read the right book or go to the <laughs> right course or do whatever that's going to fill the emptiness and solitude within you yeah. and take away that space if you like but i think if you develop and you get as you get older and you get and you're willing to talk about it with other people just with with um, a soul friend or something like that mm-hmm. you discover that that what first of all perhaps even, especially when you're younger appears or feels like emptiness is actually space which can be filled creatively mm. with mysteriously the presence of god perhaps a little bit flippantly but i think it is true is that if you feel that you're having an experience of god mm. you're probably not you know <laughs> you know yep. um um <laughs> The biblical way is that God has experienced backwards mm. and lived forwards. That's what Kierkegaard said. So mm. in other words, I don't kind of go, when I'm going through something, whether it's in the, at every stage of my life, whether it's adolescence or young adulthood, adulthood, midlife, mm-hmm. midlife crisis, although I always say to the brothers in my community, I never had a midlife crisis because <laughs> I have a permanent life crisis, <laughs> et cetera, you know, um, that, um, you know, that when you're going through something, you you don't really it's usually quite confusing yep. and it's a mess you know and you don't really know however it's the experience of the whole of the old testament and new testament and jesus whole thing you know remember me mm. the, uh, i think they call it in the in the, uh, the, of the of the last supper in the eucharist is about when i say well now that i look back mm. and you do that you know in prayer or solitude or retreat or whatever after it or somebody pointing it out to you often oh god was at work with that yeah but i didn't yeah. see it I certainly didn't feel it at the time, you know. Mm-hmm. So whenever I was director of evangelization and somebody came to me and said, God has just been speaking to me and he's told me to do this, mm. then I would be a bit worried, you know. Yeah. I'd need to go and have a drink of whiskey afterwards, you know, <laughs> to cope because that's not the way God works. Sure. God works in in memory, mm. in reflection. Mm-hmm. And in that's what why Pope Francis is constantly talking about discernment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see, at the moment, he's giving talks about discernment in his Wednesday audiences, and he gave a very interesting talk last week about sadness and sadness mm. in people's lives, you know. I often used to say to the young people that I was teaching RE to, to that when I was talking about suffering, I'd say to them, well, most of you lives are going pretty well, you know, and you, you don't really know what suffering is. But I, I used to say to them somewhat flippantly, I said, but don't worry, something will go wrong eventually, you know. <laughs> you know? And... and Unfortunately, or fortunately, a happy fault, you know, as in mm. the Gospels, um, the Easter Vigil, the only way you can come to faith um, is by discovering that you need God. You mm. know? Um, and if you, don't, if you don't feel that you need God, then you, you haven't begun even, you know, you can't even begin to understand what the Gospel is about. If everything is okay, mm-hmm. then you don't need God. So the first step, you know, and often this is what happens to us all on the spiritual journey is that we discover usually you know after a fair degree of resistance and stubbornness and wrong Mm -hmm. going down wrong paths etc that actually we're weak and frail and vulnerable and wounded 
and that we need the mystery of God to make sense of our journey, the, the, you know, the journey of meaning in our life, etc. There's all sorts of um, mm, mm. Uh, writers that you've reminded me of. Mm. In fact, something earlier that you said reminds me of a conversation that I, I, mm. I um, enjoy listening to over and over again. And mm. you probably know them, um, mm. Krista Tippett and Greg Boyle. Um, yes, yeah. I, I brought yeah. out Greg Boyle to Australia. Yes. Ex- yeah, yeah. In Australia in, 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 nine, in 2011. Yep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know him reasonably well. Yeah. One of yeah. the questions I'm going to borrow from yeah. that conversation yeah. is um, the expression yeah. you use is, uh, you know, the mm. reasons you join aren't the reasons you stay. Yeah. Um, and he yeah. was asked in that moment, so yeah. why did you join and why do you stay? What yeah. would you what would you say to that, Mark? <laughs> well, I don't know why I joined so much. I mean, I was only sixteen, so you know, I sure. probably I joined for rather superficial reasons. I like the brothers that taught me, mm. at least some of them, not all of them. Mm. Some of them were not so pleasant, but most of them were okay. <laughs> um, and maybe there was a bit of an adventure of leaving home. I don't know, you know, mm. um, something taking a risk. There was an element of that, but certainly as you develop. The reason why I stay is I can see the mystery of the grace of God at work in my own Mm. life and in other people. But I was helped by my background. There was an interesting psychoanalyst called Eric Erickson Mm. uh, who did um, studies of of infant childhood development. Particularly, he was interested in how babies who had been abandoned, that some thrived, especially after the Second World War, some thrived and others just withered up. And um, he used the phrase that those who survived... Um, had what he called the experience. It was not necessarily, of course, their own parents because their parents were killed in the war, mm. but they, what they had the experience of what he called the smile of a delighted other, mm. that there was somebody who held them and that there was a face that they, as babies, connected with that gave them warmth and affectivity. Now, most of us survive in life because we've had good enough parenting. There's no such thing as a perfect family. Mm. You know, we've all got stories from our own families where we know that they're not perfect, etc. But we got good enough parenting. There was, in fact, a smile of a delighted other, mm. which gives us a resilience. Now, I would say translating that into the spiritual life, prayer is the recognition, the moment where a person stops and realizes that the smile of the delighted other in one's deepest self is God, you know, mm. um, is the mystery of grace. That's what keeps me going. If I didn't believe that God and the mystery of God and the mystery of grace was a reality, I think I would be a very unhappy person. Mind you, being unhappy is not necessarily also a bad thing. Mm. I mean, Freud used to say, the best you can get in life is to move from neurotic misery to ordinary unhappiness, you see. (laughs) So being ordinarily unhappy is certainly better than being neurotically miserable. And unfortunately, that's what I say about some people who are the negative attackers within Mm. the church who are attacking people you know, mm. and questioning their orthodoxy, that essentially it's a new form of neurotic misery mm. that they're inflicting on other people in the church and on themselves. Mm-hmm. Whereas a person who is convinced that they are deeply loved by God is not going to be going around stirring up mm. conflict and division, mm-hmm. but it's going to be somebody who is encouraging. And this is the key aspect of Pope Francis's pontificate and his mission. I could write a book about what's wrong with the Catholic Church. You know, mm. I could write... 10 volumes with it but but what people don't but I could also write even an even bigger series of volumes on what's right with it and what's and what the good news is mm. and what people don't we don't need another analysis about what's wrong we know things mistakes are made but what we need is encouragement to go on the journey 
Mm. The spiritual life is about encouraging other people, yep. affirming them, not judging them, not berating them, not protesting against them, mm. but by but affirming people. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's an authentic form of love. Jesus mixed with sinners. He was very comfortable with people who were sinners. Mm. He was comfortable with people who were confused. And the ministry of Pope Francis is telling us to accompany people, and that is the way you authentically preach the gospel. That's not watering down the gospel. Mm-hmm. That's being authentically orthodox. The deepest aspect of the tradition is that the, that the tradition of the church is a river. Mm. It's a river that you flow down. It's, it, it is dynamic. Revelation did not just finish at the end of the, the last apostle. When Jesus said in John's gospel, it's better that I go mm. because the Spirit will come and teach you things that I could never teach you. He was telling us that the Holy Spirit, call it that, which is a very churchy theological term, mm. but that the mystery of God is being constantly revealed. And yeah. so I stay because I'm expecting to be surprised. You know, of course, it is a matter of faith, not certainty, but... but our faith and uh, the resurrection means that whatever happens to us mm. as we finish the journey, mm. you know, whether it's when we're young or old or whatever, whatever the, how the, however the vocational story unfolds and whether it appears in great glory to other people or whether it appears in sort of humble humility and simplicity to other people, is that, that at the moment of our death, it's going to be a lovely surprise, you know, mm. okay? Mm-hmm. A lovely surprise. It's going to be a surprise, certainly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I remain a, a Christian and mm. a Catholic, and uh, I'm happy to live that out in the form of life as a Marist brother because I believe that God, as St. Paul says, is on our side. God is mm. for us, and therefore what happens to us um, and what is going to happen to us, whether it's today or tomorrow or at the moment of uh, when I reach the end point of my journey, you know, um, I hope I go back to Melbourne. I don't want to die here in Sydney. You know, <laughs> That's that, too uh, bland. You know, you know, the restaurants are so... Uh, mixed, um, yeah. but um, I, my hope is that it, that I'm I'm going to be in for a great, lovely surprise. Mm. And I'd rather be a person of hope and believe that mm. and live that way and encourage other people to live that way than to be, um, you know, believing like Macbeth that life is a tale <laughs> told by an idiot full of sound and fury <laughs> signifying nothing, etc. You know, yeah. it doesn't take much courage to be an existential atheist. You mm. know, it does take courage to believe in Jesus, you know. Mm. Um, and, you know, we do that fitfully. Mm-hmm. But that's the journey. That's it. That's it. Now, as a um, Pope mm. Francis fellow, I was mm. just wondering, you could have picked anyone in the world, you know, mm. who exudes this radical humanness uh, yeah. that is at the heart of the Christian mm. tradition. Mm. Why Pope Francis in particular for you, Mark? Oh, well, I mean, I, 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 I mean, he is the Pope at the moment. So, like, <laughs> um, and particularly, but particularly... Um, I, I like Pope Francis. I mean, I like, you know, we all have our favorites. I like John the 23rd. Mm. I like Paul the 6th. There are mm. lots of great things about John Paul the 2nd. Um, Benedict showed his greatness, I think, mm. by, by being willing to let go, you know. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the first pope in 500 years to be willing to let go was mm. a great thing. Mm. And you see, that's a very important aspect of the Marian dimension, you know. Mary, you know, let go. Mm. To let go and to disappear. And there's not a lot of... Mary in the New Testament, you know, mm. Mary has a very low profile in many ways. Um, but Mary, uh, the Marian spirituality is about letting go. It is about disappearing. And our faith is founded on a disappearance. The resurrection mm. is really about, sure, he appeared, but then he disappeared. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, our, resurre- our faith is on, is, is on this 
is really all about this mysterious connection between presence Mm -hmm. and absence, and absence and presence. And what looks like absence very often is not absence at all, but it's the presence of the divine one working through daily life. And I think Pope Mm -hmm. Francis has that story in his own life. He was a Jesuit provincial. He made a lot of mistakes, as he'll say himself. He was very impatient. He didn't consult. He was very unpopular with lots of people in the Jesuits for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but as he developed and grew in his own life, he start, he became simpler, uh, more connected, more closer to people, mm-hmm. and he was able to live out the gospel. In a you know, and also he has people who who don't like him. You know, he has his enemies. But a, a lot of what they don't like about him is they don't understand the the depth of the spirituality from which he's where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Francis, I think, is. Um, and he's also the fruit of justice. John Paul II was the fruit of the suffering of the Eastern European and Polish people in particular, and the, and the gift of the Spirit you know, from that experience. Francis is the kind of gift of the Church of Central and Latin America mm. uh, since the Second Vatican Council, where they've been through great experiences of yeah. suffering, persecution, martyrdom, Oscar Romero, mm. but many lay people, many catechists, indigenous people, mm-hmm. many suffering. And he's the church's gift from Latin America mm. to the church, universal church. And the fruit of that experience is a certain simplicity, a certain openness, a lack of formality, <laughs> a closeness to people. I remember a nun uh, that I met um, in Rome four weeks after he was elected telling me that she had uh, gone to see him with a group of, with other, of other religious and she... Um, had said to him, Holy Father, before you were elected, I was getting quite, I was feeling a bit depressed, you know, mm. about the state of the church. You know, I was almost having a crisis of faith. Mm-hmm. And Francis burst out laughing and hugged her and said, you've only had one crisis of faith. He said, <laughs> he said I have one every week. You know? <laughs> and you see, it's that kind of humanity, Yes. you know, because, you know, if you're not having a crisis of faith every week, mm. to some degree, you're not alive, you know. Mm. You should be. It's a very confusing experience to be a believer, you know. Like imagine just living in Ukraine at the moment and mm. the experience of of persecution and martyrdom mm. and the experience of innocent people being killed and the arms race just bursting forth all around us when so much money is being spent on weapons. It's the opposite of mm. the gospel. It's the opposite of the Eucharist. It's anti the gospel. Mm. That war is the ultimate horror. And that's why Francis is very much, you know, even though people don't like him say it at times, still trying to get peace because war is never going to yeah. solve. And we've seen that in the 20th century, the First World War, the Second World War. Mm. So the purpose of the purpose of, of the Pope Francis fellow is, you know, to con- to promote the spirituality of Pope Francis. Yeah. But, but I think it's only because I think he embodies... A, a particular gift that I think the church needs. And I think the Spirit is at work, giving us Pope Francis. Who knows the surprise of the Spirit for the next Pope, That's whenever it. that is, in That's a few it. years' time. You know, yeah. but, but we can trust that the Spirit is at work. Yeah. Now, in um, preparing mm. for this conversation, mm. I did find that you've recently offered a mm. workshop known as A Parish Reflection on mm. the Partial Theology of Pope Francis. Yes. If we were to shift your life and faith experience now to the parish context, yeah. what kind of... Um, Principles or pearls of wisdom would you share with well, average parish people? I'm more a teacher, so I can't <laughs> say I've had you know massive experience. Although I was, sure. I know a lot about you know parishes yeah. from working as director of evangelization in the Archdiocese of Melbourne. Yeah. But I think you know my sort of simple, mm. basic things is what I was just saying: encourage, mm. affirm, critique is 
a waste of time. Mm. Critique is a waste of time. It, so much energy in the church it has been wasted um, and is wasted by people who are what Pope Francis calls sourpusses. Yep. You know, the job of being a member of a of, of parish, whether it's as a parish councillor or just be a person in the pews, is mm. to encourage, mm-hmm. refer, to build up the community. And the second thing is, you know, um, parishes are kind of communities of communities so mm. that you form within the communities, especially if they're big parishes, smaller groups where you meet with people mm-hmm. and share your faith, even if it's just another soul friend, but certainly mm. share the Word of God, reflect on the Word of God. The genius of the church in Latin America and, with, and the church that Pope Francis comes from, you can see it every day in these daily homilies that he gives at Santa Marta, is was the recovery of the of the reading of the Bible yeah. and the recovery of the reading of the Bible and connecting it with daily life. Mm. That the exodus is now happening now. The resurrection is happening now. The crucifixion mm. is now happening mm. now. The journey to Emmaus is happening now. The Last Supper is happening now. The prodigal son is happening now. These are all things being played out in our daily lives, mm. and, but we need to share and reflect on the Word of God with other people. And even, you know, even priests, I know some priests in various parts of various places around Australia, they come together each week and read the Word of God that they're going to reflect on mm. on, on Sunday and and share their what their, their thoughts about what they're going to say in their homilies. Yeah, wow. And if they do that with other priests and also sometimes with other lay people, part mm. of their parish, they get insights to help them, you know, um, improve the mm. quality of their preaching. So the more there is encouraging and sharing, we don't need, you know, kind of uh, a harsh spirit of critique. Sure, sometimes people have to be challenged, but uh, we have to be very careful about how we challenge mm. other people because most experiences I've had of seeing other people challenge other people in mm. parishes are, dis- are a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, We're only ever changed by anybody whom we are convinced loves us. Yeah. You know? If somebody tells me they don't like me and they don't like this aspect of my behaviour, even if they're right about me, about that, what I'm doing or wrong or whatever, mm. but if I don't feel that they love me and they've got my best intentions at heart, I'll avoid them. Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah. So we need to develop a spirit of Christian encouragement mm-hmm. and fraternity mm-hmm. and positivity and affirmation and also be on, be on the lookout. We need to be expecting the spirit to be at work. We're not have, not have to a mentality about expecting for people to do wrong things. The spirit <laughs> is at work. And I think that's where Francis and before him, John the 23rd, particularly when he called the Second Vatican Council, opened up the windows, mm-hmm. let some fresh air into the room. And we've got to keep on doing that. We have to keep on letting new ideas, fresh air. And, you know, and also, you know, older people have got to let go mm-hmm. and let younger people come forward and take leadership, aware of the fact that they're going to often stuff it up. Of course they'll stuff it up, because <laughs> just as they did stuff it up too, and in yeah. some ways when they were younger, etc. Yeah. But we've got to be able to be affirming of people, etc. And let let people make mistakes. We're yeah. all sinners, you know. Um, and we've got to be, have this spirit that we're on a journey where we're going to be ultimately, when we reach the mystery of God in our own personal lives, that what's going to what it's going to be a lovely surprise. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Mike. Thank you for all those insights as well for the parish context. I'm okay. sure our listeners will take a lot from that. Thank you so much, Mike, okay. for this opportunity. Thanks for the time. Ciao. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Food. Don't forget to like and follow us on Spotify or your preferred listening platform. This podcast is produced by Partial Formation Mission Enhancement Team in the Diocese of Parramatta. We release a new episode each week and we'd love to hear from you. So leave a comment or reach out via our contacts in the show notes. Looking forward to sharing another story with you next time on the Soul Food Podcast. Soul Food.